Really thankful for him. We've been in this relationship recovery series, and today I want to talk about recovering conflict resolution. Maybe you have been struggling in your relationship for a while now. Maybe you are dealing with some conflict, or frankly, maybe you need a good conflict. Maybe that you could use a good argument to work some things through because you feel stuck. And so today, I hope we'll help give you some answers to, to how you can get through those difficulties. Because if you're going to be in a relationship for any length at all, you're going to deal with conflict. And so you just have to know that's part of it. And so just going in, I want to give you a couple of statements here if I can right at the beginning. Love really isn't enough to sustain your relationship. In fact, I've actually talked to a guy one time who told me that he really loved his ex-wife. They were no longer married, but he still loved her. So clearly love did not sustain the relationship. And so love is actually not enough to sustain a relationship. You need safety, trust, respect, connection, and intimacy. And it's how you love each other that makes a difference. And actually it's how you love each other in conflict that also makes a difference. I want to give you five simple principles today that I believe will help you deal with conflict and conflict resolution and uh, the first is based upon Proverbs 13, 12. I'm going to dive right in. You guys ready to go? Here we go. Let's do it. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I've actually had a couple tell me before, I've had her look at him and say, you make me sick. That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Like you make me sick. So how can you love someone, but that same person can make you sick? It's because the hope that you've been holding out for, you've been waiting for this change to happen, it just never seems to actually happen. And so eventually their heart turns uh, from being in love to being sickened by this person. So hope deferred can make the, love, uh, the heart sick, but the longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And so what leads to unhappiness in our relationships? It's really simple. Unmet expectations. And so we all have expectations in our relationships it's just most of them are not said. But I want to encourage you that we need to actually learn to speak up and discuss our needs and our wants often. And so, and let me let you know something about humans. We're really bad at taking hints. So you just have to straight up say it. This is the expectation that I have. And so just straight up say it. Now, be prepared because they're going to have some expectations of their own as well. And so it's important that we learn to discuss that with each other. Don't make your partner guess. And so just tell them, if there's an expectation you have, you should spell that out. And, and they'll let you know if it's unrealistic, obviously. And so, but that's part of it. You just have to have this ongoing discussion about what your expectations are between the two of, of you. And so, and when you have unmet expectations, it leads to disappointment. It can lead to hurt, anger, bitterness. And then you have to discuss these types of things that you have with each other. So this is going to lead inevitably to probably conflict and so you've got to learn to work things through with each other. Let me show you scripture. Mark, excuse me, Matthew chapter 18 says this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. The message translation puts it this way. If your fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you have made a friend. It says you've won them over. You've made a friend. So the goal of conflict resolution is actually not to be right. I'll be real clear here. If your goal is to be right, you can end up being right and being alone. And so oftentimes, it's, the choices are really, are you want to be in relationship or do you want to be right? Most of the time, you can't be both. 
So I just want to challenge you. And typically one of you is better at arguing than the other. And so, and normally that's the woman. And so if that's the case, I just want to warn you ladies, if that's the case, if you're really good at arguing and you, you, you may say, but, but I know I'm right. You know, I've got all the facts on my side. It may not be that the facts are all on your side. It may be that you remember better than he does. And so, but I want to warn you of this because you can actually win the argument and lose the relationship to where he feels further and further uh, put off from you and distanced from you. And so, listen, it's one thing to be married to Mr. or Mrs. Right, but nobody wants to be married to Mr. or Mrs. Always Right. And so be really careful there that you may have the facts on your side, uh, or it may seem like you do, but you can end up losing them in the process. And so that's important that we learn uh, in, in dealing with each other that, that just because you're good at arguing doesn't mean that you should win the argument. Or maybe here's another way to put it. Go ahead and let them win the argument. And now, now that you've won the argument, congratulations, ding, 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 we'll put the win on your side. Now I'd like to be heard. Does that make sense? So a lot of times it's not about whether who's right or wrong. It's about both sides being heard. And, and by the way, we're in a relationship, right? So I think it shouldn't be like who wins. It should be maybe we should both try to win, that we could both win, that we could both kind of get our way. That'd be good. Like, hey, you get your way, then I'll get my way. And then you get your way, then I'll get my way. I think that's really what a healthy relationship looks like. So I want to encourage you to make sure it's not just always about you being correct, you being technically correct or, or winning the battle. This is important, too. When you're offended, number two, by your spouse, set an appointment to deal with the issue. The reason I said an appointment is because I've had couples come to me and they say, man, I, I talked to my spouse about this, and they just blow up. They just got real mad. I was like, well, tell me about when you approached this person. Well, he walked in the door, and I approached him. I was like, okay, so he just walked in from work. He just set his keys down, and you came right at him, right? I just, let's reframe that. Put yourself in that position. How would you have taken that? In other words, could it be that we're not really sitting down and having a discussion, we're actually ambushing our spouse? And so anyone who's ambushed is not going to have a good response. And so it may be that maybe they're not as difficult as you're making them out to be, it's just that they've been ambushed. So here's another way to do it. Why don't you say this? Hey, honey, I know we need to talk about something, and I know that this talk probably will have some emotions behind it. So please let me know when you're in a good spot emotionally that we can discuss something. So now you just bought them some time. And they're like, okay, you put some distance between introduction to the conversation to actually having the conversation. And it's only fair then, because I bet the problem didn't happen overnight, that it's okay if he says or she says, hey, you know what, just tonight's not really a good night. Can we talk about that tomorrow? Now, I'm not saying put it off forever, but if this has been an ongoing issue for months, I don't think putting it off one day is going to destroy anything. And so it's okay if they need a little more time. Uh, because remember, you've been boiling on this for hours. So you've been thinking about this whole time, and now you give them two minutes. It's not really a fair, a fair fight at that point. So I encourage you to, to give them some space. Let them let, let them let you know when they're ready. And so I think it's a really great way to approach someone because you're just showing sensitivity. Like, hey, I really want to work this out, which means I want you to be in a good place, and I want to be in a good place too. I just want to encourage you to set an appointment. And again, the appointment does not need to be for next year. You know, it could be, you know, in a relative amount of time. But normally, most of the time, whenever my wife has done this to me or I've done this to her, normally we'll say, okay, I'm in a pretty good spot now. Uh, I can talk now. And so just give me a little bit of a warning 
And normally, I'm ready to talk within an hour, you know. Uh, but again, it just depends on the conversation, what it's about, or depends on their day. Maybe they had a really horrible day. And so that's okay. Maybe you have a high-stress job, uh, or maybe your kids are really little, and so it's kind of crazy around the house. You're like, this is just not a really good time when there are toys flying back and forth in the living room right now, and, you know, you want to have this big discussion about us, you know. And so make sure you get in a good frame of mind, and that both parties are in a good frame of mind when you discuss it. So uh, there's a great uh, couple online. You, you can follow them on Instagram. They're called Meet the Freemans. They've got some great advice and uh, I, I took two sources of difficulties that men and women have from them this week. I think we should talk about. These are just two examples, but it could, your issue may not be this. It may be something totally different. But I think they're really dead on on a couple things here. So first of all, ladies, I'm going to pick on you first, and then we'll pick on men after that, okay? So here it is for women. The number one source of dissatisfaction for men in marriage is feeling like it's never good enough. This is the culmination of all the little remarks, feedbacks, or corrections paired with a declining affection and appreciation. It leads to feeling criticized and under a microscope. It starts off as a feeling drained and discouraged, trying to meet the expectations, then eventually leads to being withdrawn and disengaged. Do not let it get to this point. So ladies, a lot of times I've had men tell me, well, I'll ask them, so, hey, does your wife love you? Oh, yeah, she loves me. Does she like you? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> I'll say, really? And so, and what they're actually saying is, is that what the man's actually saying is he feels so picked apart, there's no way you could like him in this current state. Because if you did like him, you wouldn't be constantly trying to change him. And so I just want to encourage you, you may not realize it, but in your efforts to make him better, you're actually saying you're not enough. So you want to be really careful that you don't end up nitpicking him to death or he's just like, you know what, I don't even want to talk, right? Um, and the other thing, too, I want to warn you, whenever, whenever you approach a man, this is just how men are, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, I'm just telling you how, how we are. We are a funny creature, and I will tell you this, ladies, about men. Like, when we were all little boys, we had a ball and bat or, you know, whatever our favorite sport was, and we, we'd have that ball, and we'd go out and play with our friends. But if we go play with our friends and we keep losing game after game, we eventually just take our ball and go home. Like, I don't want to keep playing. If I'm going to keep losing, I'm just not going to keep playing. Men are this way in relationships. If you say to him, hey, let's talk, but every time you talk, it's your chance to just to badger him and to change him, and he ends up losing every conversation, eventually he's like, I don't want to have conversations. Like, why do I want to get together? I, I don't want to keep losing. So I'm just going to take my ball and go home. So you got to be really careful that the very thing you're trying to get out of this guy is for him to make some changes in your relationship your approach may be actually shutting down the potential of any changes happening. So you can be really careful. And I know this, you may think, man, I don't know how to approach the guy then. Well, you approach him in a more positive way. And so be careful that you're not badgering him. Scripture says this in Proverbs 20, 21, 19. It's better, out, it's better out in the desert than in a home with a nagging, complaining wife. Now, right now, there's men all across this room going, how can I say amen when they're sitting right next to me? <laughs> okay. And so, just trust me, ladies. Inside, he's saying, yes, thank you. Okay, so he, he can't do that in public. That's okay. All right. Now, I picked on the ladies. Let's pick on the men a little bit. Here we go. According to the Meet the Freemans, the number one source of dissatisfaction for women in marriage is the lack of follow-through. Whether it's big or small promises, not being reliable erodes the respect and receptivity in relationships. It starts off as frustration, 
It eventually hits a breaking point of feeling so unimportant that she starts to feel hopeless. Don't let it get to this point. So men, here's the bottom line is that she may be frustrated with you because you said you'd do something and you still haven't done it. And so you, you made some promises. You, you said you'd prioritize her in certain ways and it's just not happening in the house, in, in your daily chores and your activities and you're not pulling your load, those kind of things. That's a big deal. James 5.12 says, let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. And Proverbs 25.14 says this in the message translation, like billowing clouds that bring no rain is the person who talks big but never produces. So you can see the conflict, right? You can see where she's you know, going at him and he feels nitpicked to death, but then she feels like you didn't keep your word. So you, you said you'd do this and you didn't do this. And so you, you can see how this conflict can just escalate really easily. So I want to challenge you that I don't think neither are right or wrong. I think they're both valid points. And the challenge is going to be it's all in the approach. It's all in how you approach each other. So it's a really big deal that we learn to do that. So how do we approach each other? Well, this is a huge one. Number three, guard your words when dealing with conflict. We have to really guard our words. And, you know, I have to be really careful because I'm really good with my words uh, because, you know, God gifted me to speak. The problem is that when you're good with your words, you're also really good at cutting people down. So I have to be really careful because I can be really insulting and, uh, and, and I have to guard myself. James 1.19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And I know for men, uh, this is a big thing, at least for me, I can escalate my voice, I get really mad, I'm just yelling and screaming, you know, saying things I'm, I'm going to regret. And so I'd be really careful. I've had to learn to, to, to give a little bit of a space. Now, this is very important. If one person's chasing the other person into different rooms, what that means is that one person's saying, I need a break, I need a break, I need a break, and the other person's not giving them a break, it's not really fair to the person not giving them a break. You, you can't say, and then they turned to me and they said these horrible things, but, but you never gave them space. So if you keep coming at them, that's when they're going to say things they regret. So when they walk out of the room, let them leave the room. Like, like don't follow them. So it's important that we give each other a break. You have to learn to de-escalate things. First of all, if you have children, they're listening. I promise you they're hearing it and they're seeing it. Even when you have really little ones, there's still a tone that's happening in your home. Even if they don't really have any clue what you're saying, they still pick up tones. So it really does make a difference. So just want to encourage you to take a breather. Don't be afraid to take a break and just say, hey, okay, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go for a drive. I just need to take a minute and just relax. And so just go get something to drink, non-alcoholic, by the way. Uh, and, so, and so just, just relax. And so, and then re-engage, okay? But sometimes we need that space uh, to, to calm ourselves down. Ephesians 4.29 says, when you talk, do not say harmful things, but say what people need, words that will help others become stronger. Then what you say will do good to those who listen to you. Dr. John Gottman is a psychological researcher who studies marital stability and predictors of divorce. And here is the number one predictor of divorce, he says, that when he hears this, he knows it's the beginning of the end of your relationship. The number one predictor is contempt. Contempt is when you talk down to someone. Um, the way you know you may have contempt for someone, you may say, I don't talk down to anyone. But if you feel like in your heart of hearts, you're the more mature of the two of you, you're already talking down to them. So if you feel like, oh, I'm the mature one, <laughs> that's contempt. 
<laughs> you don't realize it, but that's actually the very definition of contempt. It's like, you're the child, I'm the adult. Uh, when you begin to speak down to someone, criticize them, rolling your eyes at them, this is all contempt. And so I want to encourage you to be very careful here because this is where relationships dissolve very, very quickly. It's when a husband or a wife uh, talks, talk to each other or about each other in a condescending, critical tone. Uh, it, it, it's when you always find that they're the negative one, you know, like, meaning that you, you find that, that the negatives in a relationship are always on them. Well, if they would just fix their stuff, then our relationship would be great. And so you've got to be really careful here because that negative, critical tone can really eat alive the conversations. In fact, it, it, you may say, well, I've tried to talk to myself. They just don't want to talk. It may be because the conversations have gone so bad, they're like, why talk? Like, it gets worse when we talk, right? So it's how you approach it that makes a difference. In fact, frankly, if it's, if it's dissolved too much, you may have to get a third party involved. You may just have to say, let's just sit down with, with someone else, with a pastor, with a leader, maybe our small group leader, or, or a, a good friend. I, I don't recommend a best friend or a parent because they're going to be biased towards one or the other person. Uh, this is where a counselor is really good to sit down. And, you know, when people tell me, oh, I can't afford counseling, it's so expensive, I always remind them, you can't afford divorce, it's much more expensive, I promise. And so it is really cheap to spend, in my opinion, a hundred bucks for one hour if that one hour is really productive. So that is well worth that, okay? And so please don't freak out over a hundred dollars when you spend that like water on Amazon, right? So let's not freak out and let's invest in our relationship. Is that cool? And so, and, and, and listen, if you're like me, you're like, man, I value privacy. You can, you can do a, a Zoom call with a counselor in another state. You don't have to go to a, a, a physical location anymore. So I just want to encourage you. There's, there's lots of ways to do this, but I encourage you to do it. Exo Marriage, you know, we brought them in. They were incredible. They've got counselors that they can connect you with. And so I highly recommend a, a great conversation with a third party if you need it to work things through. A couple things real quick. A couple, couple rules. One, always avoid the word you always or you never. They're almost always or never true, Right? And so you want to avoid that. You're always late. Well, no one's always late. You never do this. Well, they don't ever do it. I mean, and so those are too strong of language. Another one is avoid name calling. This may seem simple, but we, we forget to do this. And so be really careful. This is where name calling, cussing someone, again, totally inappropriate. I want to encourage you to just, to just don't let that be a part of your conversation with your spouse. Please don't do that. Save all the bad cuss words for your kids. So anyway, <laughs> just kidding. I was just joking. I was just joking. Also, avoid raising your voice. This is a huge one. Um, volume doesn't make you right. Just because you're louder doesn't make you right, okay? Also, going silent doesn't make the problem go away either. So that's another one too. So sometimes one person like speaks up, the other one person clams up. And so neither are healthy. And so one may appear more healthy than the other, but neither are really healthy. And so you got to learn to talk up, speak up. You have to learn to self-advocate. Let me just say this. Self-advocate is a big thing. In fact, if someone's really good at arguing, then at the end of the argument, after they've won, because <laughs> they will have won, you can just do the tally like, congratulations, check, check. You won. Okay, now I'd like to be heard. Did you catch that? That's a huge thing, because they, they may win, but you're still not heard. And if you, don't, if, you, if you don't allow yourself to be heard, you'll become resentful. This is a huge issue, guys. And so, and you'll know you're resentful because two days later, it'll just come out of you out of nowhere. You're like, oh my gosh, where'd that, where'd that come from? Like, it's just, so just super rude. What do you mean to be? It's because you're holding stuff in from the last argument that you didn't have, feel like you could really speak your mind. 
So this is so important. So if, you're, if you really have one person who's dominant in arguments, that's very good at facts, and you know, they're the lawyer in the bunch, right? If that's the, the case, then when the, all the argument's done, then that person needs to learn to say, what did I not hear? And then don't respond. Just let them verbally tell you all the stuff that you essentially were right on. But again, if you're always right, they're eventually going to say, why are we even having this discussion? What's the point? So I encourage you, I want to challenge you to do that. So everyone needs to be heard. In fact, really a healthy relationship is when two people win. It's like, okay, you win, now I'm going to let you win. Now I'm going to let you win. I'm going to let you win. Like, that's what it really should be like. We should both be, but both our opinions matter. Last time I checked, right? I mean, there's two of you. And so there was a woman who, who had a sermon one time. It was a brilliant sermon. It was called, um, I died to myself and myself almost died. You got to be careful there. Because yes, the Bible says to die to yourself, but that's to die to yourself to Christ. That doesn't mean someone else just gets to ramrod over you in every conversation and everything that they want, whatever they want, they always get their way. So be really careful there. And so, because you may have a domineering personality and you're going to leave your spouse or your kids resentful towards you. So you want to make sure that you don't do that. So avoid always or never, avoid name calling, raising your voice, and going silent. And this is really huge. There's a, there's a space between an argument and a re-engagement, where you, where you kind of re-engage as a couple again. And the longer that space is, the, the, the more unhealthy your relationship is. There are couples that will go hours without talking after, the, after an argument. It's very normal to have some space where you just, you're frustrated, you got to calm down. Even if you worked it out, you're still mad. Have you ever had an argument where you worked it out, but yet you're still angry? You ever had, had this happen to you? Yeah, because you still said things, and you're still upset, and these, all these words have emotions attached to them, so you're frustrated, right? And so you have to have this re-engagement conversation. That's really important. And so number four is after an argument, you have an argument hangover. I love that concept. It's really true. And so the way to re-engage is through a repair conversation. Here's what a repair conversation sounds like. Uh, hey, babe, you know, I just want you to know that I know we just had a pretty tough discussion. I heard the part I need to work on. I am going to do that. I just want you to know I'm committed to us. Still Team Cornelius here. I love you. I'm in this. Just want you to hear my heart. It's just a quick repair conversation. You're just saying, hey, let's, let's re-engage as a couple again, okay? And so the longer you go without re-engaging, the more unhealthy you are. There are couples that go days without re-engaging, even weeks. The problem is if you go weeks, you just may never re-engage. That's it. And this actually happens. So I want to challenge you to learn to re-engage. Proverbs 14.10 says, each heart knows its own bitterness. This is really the key to the length of time it takes to re-engage. If you are that angry still and you're not re-engaging, you probably need to go have another conversation. In other words, like, this isn't worked out. Let's go talk about it again. And it's okay for you to not be okay. We have to learn to self-advocate to say, hey, I know you think you got it all worked out, but I'm still frustrated over here. And so then you may need to say, hey, let's talk about this again. Let's reopen this from a different angle because I'm not happy. I'm not where I want to be. And so we have to be willing to do that. And so, but th- this, this repair conversation is huge. Um, you know, when you're walking by your spouse in the house, this is when you can just graze their back lovingly with your hand, not like in a vicious way, like, <laughs> not like that. No, no, no. Like just lovingly, you're saying, hey, we're good. We're, we're going to be okay. 
And so you just want to know, I'm on your team. Like, we're, we're in this together. And so that's where this re-engaging of a conversation is such a big part. What you want to do is reiterate or reiterate that you're sorry, reaffirm your love to them and your commitment to them. And so this is a huge thing. And so the better you get in relationship, the shorter the re-engagement time takes. And so, and again, re- be realistic with it. But, I mean, you know, it may not be five minutes later, maybe. 30 minutes later, you may just go do something and then come back and be like, hey, babe, just want you to know I'm good. Let's just move forward. You know, I love you. I, I heard what you were saying. I, I received it. I'm going to work on that. And so you're just letting them know, hey, I'm still committed to the relationship. Again, what's the most important thing, being right or being in relationship? <laughs> being in relationship. So you want to make sure that you re-engage and reconnect with them. That's a huge thing. Singles, let me just say this too real quick. A lot of the stuff we're talking about, you may say, well, this has nothing to do with me. I'm single. Actually, Everything we talked about can be applied to any relationship you have. And so I encourage you to have re-engagement conversations with your family as well. It's important that we learn to do that. In fact, actually, how you treat your, your, your uh, brothers and sisters is a good indication of how you treat your spouse one day. And so for some of you, that should scare you senseless. Like, oh my gosh, there's no way. It's really true. It really is. And again, I'm not talking about two 10-year-olds. They're just they're 10-year-olds, okay? But when you're 17 and 18... How you treat your siblings really is a good indicator of how you treat your spouse one day. So you have to think about how you relate to them. So what I want to do is I want to do one last thing. I want to draw something on the board here. Galatians 6.5 says, each person must be responsible for himself. And so we're responsible for our side of the relationship. I love how a counselor uh, communicated this. I want to communicate this to you. I hope this helps you understand the value of taking your part serious in the relationship. So if this is our relationship pie, okay, and we each have a portion that we are responsible for, let's say this is our, our relationship problems, we each have a portion. Like if I were to say to you, how much percentage of the problems in your relationship are on you versus your spouse? So let's say you said to me, you know what, I think honestly, Pastor, probably 15% of the problem is me, you know. And 85% is them. I love how a counselor said this. A counselor said it's brilliant. He said, if you think you're 15% of the problem and they're 85% of the problem, that actually means you only have a 15% chance of making your relationship better. Did you catch that? But the person who says, you know what, honestly, I think I'm 85% of the problem, congratulations, then you have the power to change 85% of your relationship and make it better. This is why it's so important that we quit putting off everything on the other person. Because the more you do that, the more powerless you are to change your relationship. But instead, if you say, you know what, I'm responsible for what I'm responsible for, I can make my relationship better. Guys, last time I checked here at this church, we believe that a man claimed to be God died and rose again from the grave. The same man walked across water. He made the blind man see. He fed 5,000 people with one kid's lunch. If this man can do all that and we believe that, then you're telling me that he cannot change your relationship? He can. So the challenge is, do you have the faith to believe God can change your relationship? But it always starts with ourselves. So quit thinking, oh, the big piece of pie is on them. If they'll just work on themselves, if they'll just become more mature like me, those kind of thoughts will keep you 
in pain, in difficulty, in traction, you will not get the growth that you want out of your relationship. You're going to say, you know what, God? I'm responsible. I can change what I say, what I think, how I feel, how I respond to them. I can work on me. I want to challenge you to do that. David put it this way. David said in Psalm 139, he said, search me, O God, and know if there's any offensive way in me. You say, God, is there anything I need to work on? If you'll ask God that sincerely, God, what do I need to work on? God will show you. If you'll focus on that, God will use that to change your relationships. We can have healthy relationships, but conflict resolution takes two people committed to not being right, committed to working it out and being in relationship. Would you bow your heads with me, every head bowed, every eye closed right now? Maybe you're sitting next to your spouse right now. Maybe it's time to just reach over and hold their hand. And just let them know you're committed. You're committed to working it out. You're committed to getting it right, to being in right relationship with them. And that the most important thing isn't you being right, it's the relationship being right. Would you make that commitment? Just pray some, a prayer something like this. God, I just, I just commit to working through these issues. I, I don't want a bad relationship. I know that you've got better things for me. So Lord, I'm going to take my part serious. And I'm going to recognize that the majority is on my side of the pie. Help me to work on me, God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you and me. Jesus paid the price for our sins, and he rose again from the grave, proving that he's God. You see, a Christian relationship is where two people have accepted Christ into their hearts, and those same two people are submitted to Christ. And when you're both submitted to Christ, then you're actually submitted to one another. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, have you given your life to Christ? You can receive him right now by praying this very simple prayer. We're going to pray this a prayer across all of our campuses, those online. You can pray this with us right now. Just say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you just gave your life to Christ, no one's looking around, would you just lift your hand high right now if you just gave your life to Christ? Thank you. Their hand's going up all across our church right now. Hold your hand high. Thank you. Thank you, Rodfield. Thank you, Stone Oak. Hold that hand high. Thank you, Portland. Praise God. Hold your hand high. Thank you, Padre Island. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Rockport. Hold those hands high. If you're online with us right now, you can put it in the text chat. Just text, my hand's raised, or click, hand raised right now. We praise God for the decision you made to give your life to Christ today. Father, thank you, God, that you have shown us through your word that we can have improved relationships, God, if we'll first submit to you and then to one another. And God, thank you, Lord, that you've taught us, you've shown us how, Lord, we can re-engage, reconnect. God, help us to work through the issues that we all have, Lord. God, thank you that you have a better way for us. I pray your blessings over each marriage here. I pray for each single person, God, that you begin to give them a vision for what a godly marriage looks like so they can have that one day. God, thank you, Lord, that our relationships are just supposed to be a mirror of the relationship you have with us. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for your word. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true. Pastor?